from the offices of Cocktail Collective Australia. This is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favourite spirits and cures from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they should be used. Are you ready to understand exactly what's in your glass? Or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. And we're here this afternoon with Adam Carpenter from Prohibition Liquor Co. in Adelaide. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Now, can you give us a little bit of history of Prohibition? So we started Prohibition back in 2015. It was uh, Wes, my business partner, and I. Um, we both have uh, busy full-time jobs, or still, and um, both of us sort of uh, decided that we wanted to start a, a project of some sort. And when Wes mentioned gin, uh, which was a bit of a homage to his recently passed um, stepmom, um, it sounded like a bit of fun, but also um, just something that we could really sink our teeth into. And what was the Adelaide scene like in those days? It was pretty early in the Adelaide scene. Uh, I think we were about the fourth or fifth brand into the market. So we started uh, at the early 2015 talking about it. Um, we then had some some um, very fortuitous catch-ups with um, Brendan and Laura Carter from uh, Appwood Distillery, and we worked out that we could work with them in a very creative way to um, bring a new brand to market uh, quite quickly um, and using their expertise and I guess our um, brief and our um, sort of, uh, I guess, creative vision of what we wanted to create. So um, I think, yeah, we were about the fifth brand to market uh, and now there is 32, I think, as of this week in the South Australian market. So that's really since we launched in December 2015. So it's really boomed since then. And the one that you were developing with Applewood? So we developed, the first gin we created was our original gin, so 42% delicate contemporary take on a London dry. And what we what we were setting out to do was what we felt was missing from the market was the perfect martini gin. Um, so we created that as our, as our first spirit and it's still been a, you know probably our, our sort of uh, our biggest selling spirit because it is the most approachable um it, we felt after releasing that that there was there was a another hole in the market for something that was incredibly punchy much more traditional in terms of that juniper forwardness but what is essentially then the perfect cocktail gin so we we had the perfect martini gin but it's quite delicate then to create the perfect cocktail gin we needed something complete opposite end of the spectrum so really punchy flavor um, and and uh, high alcohol content in this case so it was the guys at Applewood again that we went back to and said right okay our next brief is completely different the last one let's go as as hard as we can with something really intense uh, and that was a, again a really interesting creative journey now when you talk about having punchy flavors so what botanicals are you including yeah, so uh, we we had a goal for ourselves to to create an overproof a bit like the 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 what sort of drives us every day in business if we're going to do something we're going to do it 
to the to the to the maximum of our capacity. So we we decided if we're going to make an overproof, we we're going to make the strongest overproof Australia's ever seen, um, and that's where we settled on sixty nine percent. Was a, it was a, a happy accident that sixty nine ended up um, at one percent higher. It's actually officially a dangerous liquid. So we we you uh, by uh, by sheer fluke we'd we'd settled in at, at the highest percentage you actually could do, which we found out afterwards. What we had to do though is it's a, it's it's a it was a a, a real exercise in chemistry to make that 69% neat drinkable because all of our spirits are, all, uh, are primarily about neat drinking. So um, to make 69% neat drinkable needed a lot of intensity, yes, of juniper, but more so of, of intense flavour that was going to offset that. So we've got a big hit of star anise up front. I, I often liken it to, to drinking a um, you know an absinthe or, a, or a, um, even an ouzo first up, this big hit of star anise that your your palate's sort of trying to make sense of over over a big alcohol content we then follow that up with this this beautiful warmth of cinnamon from uh, cassia bark um so you've got you've got a, a secondary um maceration of juniper in the spirit as well so it's 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 quite noti- noticeably um golden color so that's that that rich golden color that comes out of that secondary maceration post uh, distillation of the juniper um so it is definitely juniper for Forward. basically everything has to be dialed up to 11 to sit uh, sit against that 69% alcohol big oil content as well things like um, almonds and then a lot of oil coming out of the um, the vanilla um, so again it's it's everything that's in this gin is there for for a strong reason around uh, offsetting that alcohol content but making something that that can be still balanced neat drinkable and um, really unique in flavor so again um, a couple of hits of citrus but more intense citrus so uh, grapefruit rather than ruby grapefruit which we'd used previously and uh, a um, traditional orange rather than blood orange so again um, looking at that that sort of intensity of that flavor set to sit against that that very bold gin. How difficult was it for you to decide what botanicals to use? Well, there's a couple of core botanicals that that sort of make a signature of all of our gins. So we always use um, vanilla for the sweetness and softness. We always use lavender on the finish. Um, we always use um, green tea to sort of settle down the middle body of the spirit. Um, and then uh, it's it was then so there was a, a couple of core components that we wanted to retain. We needed we knew we needed more intensity out of the citrus, which is why that change of flavour. Um, but again, uh, a lot of it was that function of alcohol content. So what are you going to get strong flavor from that's going to kick a, a, a above that alcohol content? And it really was that um, the star anise. Um, but then the other ingredients, you know, like I said, the, the addition of, of uh of the almonds was purely to get an oil content that was going to uh, allow that that spirit to have a long round mouthfeel rather than evaporating instantaneously which which 69% should do um everything else really is is um is quite restrained in that gin. So it's, it's those core ingredients that shine through. We used um, uh, our root ingredient was was ginger yet again, but again, dialing up that ginger so it had a bit of heat to it. Um, so, uh, look, I, I think it was, it was very much... Um, how are we going to take intense flavour and intense alcohol content but still make it taste like, like a Prohibition gin at that finish? So as soon as you add uh, tonic, for example... Um, 
all of that intensity dials back and a lot of those signatures of our gins push forward so you get that that floral note pushing forward you get the citrus forwardness pushing forward and a lot of that intensity drops away very quickly and that's what really surprises people when we do tastings uh, at gin festivals and i assume that the name comes through the intensity the bathtub uh, so the name was uh, was a couple of a couple of uh, points i guess so it was it, uh, bathtub gin was was obviously a uh, a prohibition um uh, term for gins that were that were made often at home um they weren't distilled in a bathtub because you can't distill in a bathtub so it was a bit of a misnomer but the bathtub always had a place it was generally the only uh, place in the house that you could uh, get a vessel big enough full of spirit to water it down to bring it down to drinking uh, percentage um but for us it was also that bathtub notion of that that secondary maceration of the juniper so we were soaking it in a bathtub of spirit um and then uh, yeah very much that that homage to to bathtub gin of the time but with a lot more refinement in for a modern audience what cocktails did you envisage for your for your bathtub it's interesting we we knew we were making a cocktail gin we didn't know what it was going to play best to until we started really exploring it once we'd made the spirit so the first thing that shocked me when i when we first tasted it and got it right was how approachable it actually is given its percentage um, but it was when we started exploring things like a negroni we really didn't know how that was going to go um, we knew we wanted to have a, a good crack at an all australian negroni so um you know a, a really good chat with with brendan from applewood um in in uh, highlighting the ochre um as the amaro and then finding the right vermouth to match with it so um the guys from made and i um make us special batch of of uh, unfiltered um sweet vermouth these days which we work with really meaty and, and earthy um the interesting thing is the bathtub gin becomes the let's call it the rug that ties the room together where it it plays against those other two very rich ingredients but it makes it as still a, a gin forward negroni which is not 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 generally what the gin is there for um but what it does is it ties together all of those other ingredients bringing the the um I guess all of the work that we put into making it drink neat has softened down a lot of that that um, intense bitterness that you expect from a Negroni, but what you get is this intense length and, and breadth of flavour. So um, you've got this, this quite balanced but very rich experience in our in our All Australian Negroni. But then moving from there, it is it is I guess because of a nature of that intense uh, flavour and alcohol content, it is the essentially the perfect cocktail gin so you've got a gin sour becomes gin forward a um i guess your most flavorsome prohibition era cocktails which were there to mask the gin the gin still punches through which is great um so we we've got a, a bunch of different expressions that we do everything from a corpse reviver is going to be very gin forward again um and that support of that that's that strong anise drive works well um but essentially we i guess find that you know bartenders love it because you're not heavy pouring something that is 69% alcohol you're not actually you know a standard measure is going to punch through anything um but also I mean there's there's bars around Australia that actually use this gin in a in a um a, a signature cocktail because um it doesn't take any it doesn't hold back it doesn't uh, doesn't take any prisoners but um it is really quite a unique spirit 
If you were at home and you're not really a gin drinker or you haven't really experienced a lot of gin yet, is this a gin to start on? Look, I often, I often um, uh, have a, a, a slightly scared moment when someone says, I've bought a bottle of your gin, I bought the bathtub because it looked like it was the, uh, the, the top shelf. And I said, okay, just, just tread carefully. <laughs> tread carefully. It's, it is intense. It's unashamedly intense. The funny thing is, though, when you serve it as a gin and tonic, um, so, you know, use, use a good tonic, um, but it's, it's so robust it'll sit against any tonic really. Um, but, you know, something like um, Strange Love Dirty Tonic or, um, you know, even, even a, um, a, a more traditional Indian tonic, it's going to punch through. We garnish it with star anise again and the cassia bark and you get that beautiful support of those two core botanicals, a really earthy gin and tonic. But the even the, the, the least seasoned campaign is going to find it very easy to drink. It's actually a little bit scary. Would you say that people should almost halve what the amount of gin they'd normally put in something when they first approach it? anything like this is to, to personal taste essentially if you mix this as a as a traditional gin and tonic mix whether it be your your um two to one or three to one um it's actually really friendly um so you actually find yourself not having short pour but if you if you uh you can if you uh if you if you feel the need um i i think what what we actually have most trouble convincing people is not to be scared of it in the first instance because they generally try and say, oh, I didn't expect it, you know, at 69%, I didn't expect it to be that friendly. Now, you've uh, recently opened this wonderful cafe bar area in the middle of Adelaide. Are you finding that they approach it differently than you thought they might? I think taking a step back from that, I think that the thing that, that has surprised me most about what we enjoy about what we do now is, um, is the bringing joy to people is the one part of making gin that I didn't expect to be so uh, enjoyable for us. Um, so being able to share that experience with people is, I think, the, the thing that, that, that we really love um, and what this place is about is all about education so it's a chance for us to either take someone who's never had gin in their life and give them a, a level of knowledge that they can walk away from here and more or less know what they're doing with with uh, you know gin and at home or or how to how to pick the right um, gin and, and mix at a bar um, but also um, I think we uh, we, we can we can convert a few people from some of their misheld assumptions about gin. So whether it be how they're serving it at home or whether it be um, what tonic they're using, just fighting the good fight about uh, that that quality story. Um, but I mean, we also have a hundred gins on our back bar, so it's not just our product that they might learn something about. So we we're always um, showcasing uh, craft spirit from around Australia to to essentially show that we've got an industry that is is world class which is pretty exciting so if you were taking your gin and specifically the bathtub gin home for the first time what would be the first thing you would make with it look i think i think uh, you know being able to make a good gin and tonic because it's 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 
quick, easy and fresh and friendly and uh, not taking anything too seriously for the general general punter. Um, I think uh, just just getting that mix right, using a, using a good quality tonic and uh, exploring some of those garnishes that will work well with that gin for a GNT is a really good starting point. But we try and, I guess, convince people to not be afraid of making something like a gin sour at home. I mean, it seems, it seems very complex until you actually um, highlight that the ingredients aren't that difficult. Uh, it's stuff that generally people have at home. They've got some um, lemons lying around, for example, and they've got a couple of eggs that they can uh, take some whites out of. Um, with a little bit of process with the shaking to get that right, it's really not uh, a difficult thing to do. Uh, but it's, it's things that people are often a little bit scared of until you until you break those barriers down. But I think start with the GNT. Um, uh, the, I mean, we pre-bottle a Negroni these days just to make that easy for people, but we always use that, that same mix. Um, and then um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really the fun of gin is being able to explore different things. So um, uh, there's lots of expressions that we would, they would point people in the direction of, but we generally try and gauge what they like first and then send them away with some options. With star anise um, as a major flavour coming through and the citrus that you were talking about, what other flavours will your bathtub gin work well with? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, uh, star anise is an interesting ingredient. It's, it's it can be quite divisive. If, if um, you know, if someone's had a, a bad experience on on absinthe or uh, zambuca, for example, um, they they might have a little bit of trouble coming at it first up. But um, you can settle down that star anise uh, quite quickly with with citrus, for example. So, like a, like I mentioned, a sour mix. That you know, a, a um, a south side, for example, you generally lose the gin in something like a south side because you've got that intensity of citrus. But again, you're going to get that punch through of the anise and of that that warmth of cinnamon, which is nice. So citrus is a good good one to sit off against it. Um, just something as simple as garnishing with uh, mint, for example, will kill kill off a lot of that intensity that that may scare people with a um, with a star anise. So um, mint garnishes are not for every gin because they will overplay a lot of things um but you know a robust gin can can take it so um i think you know some of your more uh more herbaceous garnishes are going to offset that 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 aniseed edge so what is the future for prohibition look we've finally installed a still here in in gilbert street which has been a long time coming we it was a function of uh having enough space because we we ran out of space from the moment we moved in which was a good problem to have uh, we finally have mary our 900 liter beautiful copper still uh up and running um so that gives us the flexibility uh to make a whole bunch of of new and interesting things um we really want to explore um australian native botanicals further because i think it's so important for the Australian gin uh, industry to explore what we have in this country. Um, but also, um, uh, I, I, we'll make some whiskey one day, but it may not ever sit under prohibition as a brand. Um, uh, I think it's for us, it's about extending the experience that people have here doing gin blending masterclasses, for example, where you, you come away with your own gin uh, expression. Um, 
uh, and really, I guess, um, making a bit more products so that we can sort of hit the export market. I mean, that's, that's I guess, the uh, where Australian gin needs to be kicking goals more so is getting it getting it beyond Australian lips. So um, we will always uh, be uh, making sure that the the local market is well and truly well cared for um, and getting as many people through this door to to educate and fight the good fight for craft gins. Um, But then uh, we've got a lot of capacity for production now and growth, which we haven't had. So it's really exciting for us for the next few years. You're talking a lot about Juniper Ford um, gins. As you explore more of the natural botanicals, do you believe that Australian gin needs its own classification? Mm, that's an interesting question. Um, look, I, I, I think um, I think we do a lot beyond the traditional London dry. I think we all know that. It's interesting. We, we really grapple between with our gins how to, even just how you enter them in spirit competitions, are we a, are we a London dry on the contemporary edge or are we a con- truly contemporary gin? Uh, and it depends on the competition as to how, how uh, different judges might see that. But, um, I, look, I, I think Australian gin is taking it to the world, whether it means that we end up with our own classification. I think it would be a great thing, but um, I think we're doing, if nothing else, we're doing really interesting things with the the very dry and staid traditional London dry category. So I think we, we're already doing it. Um, whether we need the classification, uh, I think we'll succeed either way. How important do you think awards are, or should they be to consumers in determining what they buy and what they don't? Ah, it's a very, it's a really tricky question. The awards, it's for us. They're a blessing and a curse. Um, they're a blessing in the fact that um, Touch Wood, which I'm doing right now, we've won an award for every entry we've ever put a spirit into, and that's now getting close to fifty individual awards. Um, so that's a hundred percent hit rate from fifty entries. Um, but it's an expensive exercise. Um, so that as a business is tricky, particularly when you're trying to move your spirit around the world at, at uh, and all the joys that, that go with trying to ship into the US, for example. As a consumer, though, once once someone's tried our gym, we know they'll come back. Um, but getting that first sale, what what does a consumer have to go on? So awards is just one of those things that I guess can help them see this product has has had recognition from XYZ awards around the world, which gives me some degree of confidence that there's something something good going on here. Um, but bear in mind that everything with awards is is completely subjective. So, and we find that with the results that we get across the world, the same spirit entered in five different competitions doesn't get the same result. Um, so, you do have to take the whole thing with a pinch of salt. It is subjective, um, but we keep entering because. Um, we we feel it's of it's of value, and it helps reinforce, if nothing else, with the Australian consumer that we are making objectively judged uh, world class spirit. Thanks so much for spending time with us this afternoon, Adam. And if you haven't tried any of Prohibition's gins, especially their bathtub cut gin, it's available through specialty liquor stores or through Prohibition's website, which is prohibitionliquor.co. 
Thank you. It's been great talking to you. We want to give our thanks to Adam Carpenter from Prohibition Liquor Co. for joining us today. And thanks to you too for listening to this, the latest episode of Cocktails Distilled. Be sure to visit cocktailcollective.com.au to access the show notes. If you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.